around the world and on satellite. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to talk about, of course, the Kingdom of God. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to look at Thy Kingdom Comes, a book I've written in response to all the questions that came from the book, The Covenants of the Gods. The Covenants of the Gods deals with the problem of today, uh, of yesterday, and probably of tomorrow. Since we keep making the same mistakes over and over again, despite the explicit warnings of God that come down to us through the prophets and the wise men of the past, through books like the Bible, that tells us over and over again, talks about government about 700 times, uh, specifically in relationship to contracts, covenants, constitutions. Uh, it even tells us what items to include in a constitution as safeguards against the usurpation of power, the uh, rise of power in our midst. There were governments like the government of Cain, Nimrod, uh, Caesar, Egypt, uh, Pharaoh, all became abusive of the people, the rights of the people, caused the people to abort their children, to uh, cast out their children. In the New Testament, the word there referencing the casting out of children in Egypt, uh, they actually use the word brephos, which means fetus in the Hebrew. And of course, you can go back hundreds of hundreds of years before Christ, and you see in the Hippocratic Oath, give no pessary, which is an abortive substance. Abortion has been around for a long time. It is not the problem. It is a symptom of the problem. The symptom of not caring for one another. Most abortions are the result of selfishness or the result of economic pressures, uh, fear, anxiety. Uh, most of the uh, pregnancies uh, that call for abortion are the result of promiscuity. Even many of the births today are outside of this union of marriage, which was an institution of God. We have to remember governments as we see them, as we think of them, as centralization of some power of choice in the hands of a few, whether king or presidents or Congress. It is some men making laws and ruling over other men. Now, we have semblances of indirect democracies and democracies, it's supposedly where everybody gets a voice in the government, but that's just the mob, the majority ruling over the minority. Again, you have to have some form of way to interact with one another in what you might call government, but self-government is the best government, especially, maybe even only, when that government of the people, for the people, and by the people are speaking of a virtuous people, elements of society that would be virtuous, not killing, not robbing, not even coveting your neighbor's goods. But he begins the Ten Commandments uh, with some very important bars of action, which include not making covenants. And, of course, people do make covenants. They do make agreements. They do make these agreements all the time. Most of the power of governments today is not the result of their constitutions, but the results of the contracts, covenants, and applications for benefits of the people for the benefits provided by men who call themselves benefactors but actually exercise authority one over the other. Something Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. Yet, today, in America in Australia and in almost every country you will see 
that there are huge amounts of uh, benefits coming to the people by way of a government that exercises authority in order to have the resources to grant those benefits. They don't give you anything out of their pockets. They give you something out of your neighbor's pocket. This is a violation of the end of the Ten Commandments of not coveting anything that belongs to your neighbor. You don't even want anything that belongs to your neighbor. You don't want to hire men to take it away from very basic principles spoken of in the Old Testament, spoken of the New Testament. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and he includes these commandments. And why have we strayed so far? Because an apostate institution calling itself the church, which is the word we translate from ecclesia, the original Greek word that we see in the biblical text, into the modern English term church, has represented itself as the teachers of the doctrines of Christ, even the imposers of the dogmas of Christ, and yet they seem to have been completely oblivious to these very specific warnings and directions of Christ, of Moses, of Abraham, from the beginning. And people have gone a-whoring after other gods, other ruling judges, to take care of them, to provide their day-to-day bread, their daily bread. They don't pray to God for their daily bread. They pray to government. And government has become their God. And we write extensively on this, and you'll find information on this in the Covenants of the Gods, in the Kingdom Come, in the Free Church Report. We have a number of other smaller books coming out. We have dozens of pamphlets, all available online for free. You can download them for free. They, they aren't really there for free, but uh, we give them away for free. But it do some soul-searching. To wonder, have you been faithful to Christ? If you love him, you will keep his commandments. Yet we're not keeping them, clearly not keeping them. It's not a secret. It's right out there in the open. But there are people keeping you distracted, saying, oh, don't, don't look at these things that we have kept behind the curtain. And you need to look at those. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is not righteous to take from your neighbor to provide you with your meat and drink. It is not righteous to do that. You should be living by faith, hope, and charity, not by compelled programs in government. So you can see that we are strayed from the kingdom of God, yet that is what Jesus, John the Baptist, and the apostles were to go out and preach that to seek that kingdom of God, it's at hand. And the righteousness of that God, which would include abiding in his Ten Commandments and making no covenants, uh, praying to no other gods, uh, coveting none of your neighbor's goods. And we haven't even got into the areas where governments actually kill people by the tens, by the thousands, by the millions and we support that. We support that with our labor, and we are compelled to bow down and serve them daily in a system of core V bondage that exceeds that of Egypt, where they were casting out their children because of the, the subtle burdens that were increased upon the people. We are iconoclasts here at the church. Now we have a network, a living network of people that are out there that each has a different skill and some of them are more charitable. I'm an iconoclast. I'm going to tear down the ideas in your mind that have led you to worship false gods. And in doing so, I will tear down their altars in your minds so that you may see the wholeness of the gospel of the kingdom. That's my job. It's not a job that's going to make me popular with a lot of people. I'm not here to win friends and influence people. I'm here to awaken you to the wholeness of the gospel that ye might be saved. A lot of people think they are saved, and maybe they are. But it is almost 100% guarantee. Uh, I would even say it is a guarantee 
that there are many people out there who think they are saved and are not. We know that in, in the Bible that men come and say, look at all the great things we've done in your name. These are men who are doing things in the name of Christ, in the name of God the Father. And yet Jesus says, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. I know you not. I mean, the Pharisees all believed that they were serving God, yet they had brought the people back into the bondage of Egypt, compelling the offerings of the people, arresting them if they did not offer the adequate amount determined by the scribes. That's, that had come along from 78 uh, B.C., from 160 B.C., and we talk about that in Thy Kingdom Come. Righteousness is translated from the Greek defined in a broad sense, state of him who is as he ought to be. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state of approved of by God. And if you're coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you are not in a state approved by God. You are in a state created by men like Cain, like Nimrod, like Lamech, and you've gone out of the presence of God, and it's time to repent and turn around and go back. And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. This is the first commandment of God, to dress it and keep it. We had dominion in the Hebrew Radah. We had possessory right upon the land that God placed us on. We are losing that. We have lost that in many ways. And it is because we are not walking with God. Christ redeemed us. We should be walking with God. And if you are not, you lose access to the redemption of God. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. So saith Jesus, our King. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. That's way back in Isaiah. But who is your king today? Who's your ruler? Who's your lawmakers today? Is it the Lord, or have you given that power to other men? Our foot should belong to God, not to governments of the world. We should be free souls under God. This is the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. That's us. Have we delivered those goods unto other gods? Or have we kept them? In Genesis 6-9, we see these are the generations of Noah. And Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power and make known to the sons of man his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. From generation to generation, by the possession of the foot, by the possession of those souls who are possessed by God, owned by God, who Oh, their service to God alone. Now, yes, we have to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But if God created us, doesn't everything we have belong to God? How does Caesar have a title? The same way Cain got a title. The same way Nimrod got a title. The same way Pharaoh got a title. Caesar had become imperator of the Roman Empire. 500 years they had no emperor. They had thrown out the Tarquinian kings and become a republic. We're free from things public. Most of their army, for most of the history, up to that time where they had the first emperor, was an all-volunteer army 
paid for not out of taxes but out of the contributions of local communities now yes they created institutions very cleverly legal institutions whereby the army was really not so much an army as engineers who would go out and do mining go out and build harbors go out and build ships bigger than noah's ark huge giant ships not built by one man but built by hundreds and hundreds of men carrying thousands of men carrying tons of cargo I mean, I am not kidding you. Ships bigger than Noah's Ark, built regularly by the Romans 400 years before Christ to go out and trade. Floating cities. These guys were good. Their roads are still in use today. Their aqueducts built from poured concrete are still standing. Three stories high. After thousands of years. How did they do that? in a free society, in a free republic, not by taxing everybody and forcing the contributions of the people, but by very clever means, which we don't hear anything about when we go to public schools. We don't hear about that government and how it worked. And that's one of the things we try to teach people is how that worked. And we do it through the living net. And people want to know, how do we get closer to it? How do we do Join the living network and teach one another. I'm not going to be able to teach you everything on, on these uh, talks and in these lectures. I can point to the kingdom, but you must seek it. And in the end days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised the honored him, and liveth, Forever, He that liveth forever, that's the God of heaven, the God that we really don't understand, but we seek to understand, that we are supposedly made in the image of, whose dominion is in his kingdom is from generation to generation. Again, generation to generation. Why? Because the family is the institution of God. Governments are the institution of men. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. All power, all authority, all right is vested in the family, in God's kingdom, in the family. No right is invested in any any government except, even uh, the church, I should say, except those items that are given to the church freely by choice, and freely, totally given to the church. For what purpose? To be that social welfare system of the people, for the people, and by the people. Because the communities need to be made up of families. Those families need to become a family of nations by helping one another. And they need to do that in an efficient fashion, not just a couple of friends that I know that like me and think I'm a great guy, a communion of people. And the way this was always done was a network of 10 families or 12 families or eight families, but a network. Those families were together, picked a minister. They tied to that minister to do the job of the government. He was health, education, and welfare. He was their link to other congregations because the kingdom of heaven is not just a congregation. It's a nation. And he linked those congregations and other church congregation groups in the, that pattern of tens, hundreds, and thousands. One of the most common forms of government throughout the history of man, but almost unheard of in modern American view of history because they have gone to the other governments to be educated at the expense of their neighbor. And why should they tell you about the government that would lead you to freedom? They want, you know, they, Caesar gives you the information that makes you a good servant of Caesar. He's not in the business of teaching you 
about God, and we see that more and more as they take God out of the public schools. But the fact is, the public schools are not an institution of God. They are an institution of benefactors, or men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, because they compel your neighbor to pay for your child's education. In contradiction to what Christ said to do. Now, how can you take your kids out of public school and teach them at home? Some of you, both parents are working. Sometimes there aren't both parents. Congregations of people who care about you, your children, as much as you care about them and their children. And you can do this. I can talk about it, but you can do it. We homeschooled our children very little help, although we did have a community around here, a small little community within the larger community that were also homeschooling their children. And that made it a little easier. And you need the same. And you need to find those people. I always remember the story when I was in Texas, in Arlington. Said there's nobody around here who thinks like we do. That day, when driving around looking for someone he had to do some work for, we, we stopped at a house to ask if anybody had seen the fellow. We didn't know who that lived there. But I noticed all the kids were playing in the yard, and this was a school day. And I said, well, how come you boys aren't in school? And they said, oh, we're home taught. Here these people live just, just a stone's throw away from the one family who was already selling their house and moving to Tennessee. And here was a family a stone's throw away who were home and may have thought very much along the lines that this gentleman had thought and they didn't know they were there you need to get out there and find them I remember going to uh, a, a stand of greasewood very high brush out in the desert with a herd of sheep and passing through there I come out the other side and I see all the sheep going down the trail headed down out towards the desert and I noticed the dog is missing, and I called to the dog. Now, the sheep are going, because they're going downhill, they're taking off, and I want to keep up with them, and I'm looking, where's the dog, where's the dog? And I'm calling back, where's the dog? And here comes the dog, Rosie, with her name. And here she comes, three lambs got lost in the brush, and she was bringing them out. She wasn't going to go with the rest of the sheep. She's a better herder than me. I had to learn how to herd sheep from my dog. <laughs> And we haven't been doing that. We've lost the, the concept of a good shepherd because they have moved us to their cities and their treasure cities, and we've been busy building them instead of building the kingdom. We need to learn those ways. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But according to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now this was God speaking to Samuel when the people said, Samuel, give us a king, give us a ruler, help us elect a president, help us establish a prime minister, whatever it is, somebody to rule, to exercise authority, to force our offerings. Of course, they didn't say all that. But Samuel came and told them what would happen. He very clearly defined, they're going to take your sons and daughters, they're going to take the first fruits of your labor, they're going to take your best fields for their men, they're going to bring you into subjugation, they're going to make their instruments of war, and you're going to cry out in those days. And I will not hear you. God says this. They said, give us a king anyway. No, we want to elect a president because we know what we're doing. No, well, you don't. First on FirstAmendmentRadio.com, at Radio World, and on satellite. Since the beginning of time, kings have sought it 
Nations have fought for it. It has been traded. It has been borrowed. It has been purchased. It has been stolen. There's a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188 or visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom and regular guest, world-renowned economist Robert Chapman, right here on FirstAmendmentRadio.com at 4 p.m. Eastern or 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. Toll free, 1-800-375-4188. Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from FirstAmendmentRadio.com. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government Takeover of the Church. Order online today at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call 559-781-3773. Who will tell them if not you? Have you seen Loose Change? The most popular documentary in the 911 Truth Movement. With the coming change in government, now is the time to push for justice and get this truth into the hands of millions of Americans. First Amendment Radio is offering both videos, Loose Change and 911 Justice on DVD. We will ship two copies of both videos to you for 10 bucks cash. Yes, two copies, one for you and one for you to give away. You will see and hear Larry Silverstein admit that they decided to pull the building. Why are they not being pursued? The people must know. Justice must be had. The time is now. Two copies of both videos, Loose Change and 911 Justice, for 10 bucks cash. No checks, please. To First Amendment Radio, 139 East to Larry Avenue, to Larry, California, 93274. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're asking questions like, are men the property of the state, or are they free souls under God? This battle continues throughout the world today. A question asked by Cesar B. DeMille's at the beginning of the movie Moses, which was a movie about Moses liberating the people of Egypt, redeeming them from their bondage, and leading them to a new way uh, out in the desert and eventually in the promised land. Uh, there's a great deal of misconception from the movie, but that was a question that he asked at the beginning of the movie when I was a pretty small boy, and that has stuck with me ever since. Are they the property of the state, or are they free souls under God? Well, the truth is, most of the people in most of the countries throughout the world today are the property of the state. They are merchandise. And they have been made merchandise exactly the way Peter said they would be made merchandise. They would be made human resources. They would be made surety for debt. They would be snared. I'm talking about um, several quotes in the Bible, including Paul, including David, the king who was after God's own heart, the king who came after Saul. And what, what was going on? They're talking about governments here about being made a human resource, merchandise, through covetousness. How is that? By? Their table shall be a snare. What should have been for your welfare shall be a trap. The Bible is telling you these things, and your ministers and your churches are not telling you these things, and so you're back in the bondage of Egypt, something that God was saying they were going to return to as they kept returning to, 
even though he took them out of Egypt and said, never go back to Egypt again. You're there. Worse than it was then. You would be better off living in the actual Egypt today. Because in the actual Egypt today, what you owe the government every year is no more than 20%. Whether you're an individual or a corporation, that's still law today in Egypt. Everywhere else, it can be a lot more. And they tax you on your property, and they tax you on what you buy in the store. There's a sales tax, a property tax, and a tax on your labor, which is what the tax was in Egypt. A tax on your labor. 20% of everything you made had to go to the government because you were in the bondage of Egypt. Yet people think they're free today. What a delusion. And it's a strong delusion. We're in the greatest country in the world. We're a free people. You're not free. You're in bondage. And look at what you're producing. The family is in in absolute devastation as a unit. All over the country, all over the world. There are children born out of wedlock with no parents on a regular basis and no family to take them in. What has happened to the world today? We have gone away from God, and it's time to repent and go back. Saul took the kingdom over Israel. He took took that position of being ruler over Israel. Now you, you go back to Gideon, and Gideon says, I and my family will not rule over you. Gideon had figured it out. Saul took that position. And he was a great guy, but he took that position because the people wanted somebody. If they didn't pick Saul, they were going to pick somebody else. And he fought against all the enemies on every side. He was their commander-in-chief. But he seized the imperium with each that, that had been in each family head, in the patriarch of each family, and had been enjoyed by the freemen of the kingdom where there was no king. And now he had that. It was vested in him. A part of their rights he now had. They gave it to him. And he began to act upon that. Now, does he have to give it back when they want it back? You know, the warning back with Samuel, when the day when you cry out, it's not coming back. And I will not hear you because you have chosen someone else to rule over you because that's the, what you've been doing since I took you out of Egypt. And we've done the same thing in America, in Canada, in every country throughout the world. We've done the same thing. His reign, Saul's reign, was called salvation. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. David was an anointed king, Meshiach, they called him. We, we would translate that as Messiah. He was called the Messiah. That was a title given to David because he was anointed by God to take Saul's place because Saul became so corrupt. First king out of the box, first president out of the box, was corrupted by the power people gave him. That's, that's a tremendous burden, giving men power over you. You tempt them with that power. Christ was tempted. What was the temptations of Christ? To exercise the power. What was the temptation of Gideon? I and my family will not rule over you. But Saul said, okay, I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Big mistake. He should have scolded the people as their leader. You should not elect me as your leader. You should learn to lead yourselves under the authority of God, as the property of God, and not the property of me. I and my family will not rule over you. You should have passed that on to somebody else. But yet... How many of you are willing to rule over your neighbors to the governments that you have elected? 
so that you can get free education, free health care, free unemployment, free welfare. How many of you are selling your children into bondage? And can you just turn this around? So many people think, oh, we're just going to return to the Constitution. The Constitution violated four basic precepts given to us by God in the biblical text to put specifically in any constitution that you write if you choose a leader who can exercise authority. All four of those items listed in Deuteronomy were neglected in the Constitution of the United States. It was a bad idea. Another subject. Contracts, covenants, and constitutions. You can, you can listen to the audios of that on the net. You can order them from us or whatever. But that's an iconoclastic series in itself. And we'll, we'll have a book out on that shortly. It's already pretty much written, but uh, the ministers on the network are going over it. See if uh, we got all our dots uh, crossed and our T's dotted. <laughs> so anyway, and, and it'll be available first to those people on the network for free. So Saul became this king, and he was tempted by the power of it, and he was corrupted by the power of it. And David came, and David was a pretty good guy. But we even see David making all kinds of mistakes. But he repented. That was one of the things about David, is he kept repenting. He was not the Messiah that Christ was. Christ did not have to repent. And Christ did what Rehoboam, grandson of David, would not do. When the people wanted their freedom back, he would not give it back. And yeah, they could say, what does David do us? But they walked away from their inheritance in the kingdom of God. It had been generation to generation, and now it was from the generation of kings to the generation of kings. And they walked away from that. What does David do us? And they went back to their own tents. And they divided the kingdom, and the kingdom fell and went into captivity. And today we still have people going around saying they're in the kingdom of God, but they are still dividing the people with doctrines and dogmas, with the fact they say, oh, we don't need a church, we don't need a network, we just got our buddies. It's, you know, we're all in the kingdom of God because we just say we're in the kingdom of God. That's not what the early church was. The early church was in a very, very effective network that was able to be the FEMA of early Christians, the Faith Emergency Management Auxiliary, to serve thousands and thousands of people throughout the Roman Empire and beyond in the time of calamity. And they did this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years which is what this book is all about, Thy Kingdom Come. You know, Matthew wrote in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic to Greek the word uh, melatuch becomes Basilius Oranos, the kingdom of heaven. It actually means a realm. That's what Basilius means, a realm. And therefore, when you put Basilius uh, Theos together, you have the realm of God. If you have the realm of God, you have the right to be ruled by God. And, of course, the planet belongs to God anyway. But he did give us dominion over it. So now when you're talking about Basilia, you're talking about dominion over it. Well, most of the dominion over the planet is by the possession of the foot of the subjects of kings and presidents and congresses and prime ministers. Because the people have all gone back into the bondage of those institutions, and therefore the possession of their foot does not hold dominion for them, but for those they must serve, bow down and serve, because they have made a covenant with them, and they have prayed to them for their daily bread, and they have made them gods, and they will someday, if not already, cry out, and God will not hear them because they have gone whoring after these other gods. 
in Plato's dialogue, this word Oranus uh, is said to be, there is no word in the English language to translate Oranus, what we, we translate as heaven, into. Now, in, in Plato's dialogues uh, and, um, and, and books written by the Greek scholars, they don't translate it into heaven. We see that in the biblical text. And you can do that, but you have to understand what heaven is. And and they even talk in the Bible about third heaven, second heaven, you know, all this kind of stuff. So they're dividing it up. But, of course, we're dealing with translations here. And so, you know, if every word in the English language and every word in the Greek language can have multiple definitions, and then you're going from one language to the other... Uh, the choice of what word to use is very important, and there may not be a word to put there. So you have to go back to the original text and say, well, which of the five or six English definitions for this word should I use? And what will give you the hint is the original Greek word that we see there. And in the case of Matthew, you would even want to go back to Aramaic and take a look at that, although we do not have necessarily an accurate Aramaic uh, version of Matthew's original gospel. But there are fragments out there that we can glean from. Ultimately, it's going to depend upon your own hearts and your own minds to know what the Bible says. But at least we ought to be like the Bereans and open it up and crack the books and find out what they're talking about. But the Greek scholars say the best vision for the word heaven is world. Because it means actually the encompassing everything, the sky above, all the way to the center of the earth. That's what that word, original word, Oranos, means. And that's why they used Oranos there when they translated from the Aramaic. Only Matthew mentions kingdom of heaven. You won't find that in any of the other gospels. It's always the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of the world. And they didn't want to translate the world... Uh, that, that would not go over good with King James because people might figure out that Jesus was actually talking about a kingdom not by men but by generation to generation men who were righteous in their generation where the power of government was in the family now how do you run a government if every family has all the power unto itself and nobody can rule over one family you know you get ten families together and Six of them rule over the other four. No, it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. If we remain righteous in our generations, yet there's still a need for government. There's still a need for, you know, flood, fire, invasion, criminals. How do we come together? How do we bind ourselves together so we will be there for one another without losing our rights that God has endowed us with? Because we need those rights because it makes us stronger spiritually in the exercise of those rights because in the exercise of those rights we can become virtuous righteous well the only way to bind you is by faith, hope, and charity ten families come together and become the charitable institution of those ten families but not excluding the rest of the sheep that are still lost out there in the brush we need those sheep too they're part of the kingdom. They're the brethren of God. We have one Father, and He is in heaven. That's what makes us brothers, not our dogma, not our religion, not our ID cards, but love for one another. So instantaneously it would seem that you would want to form a network so you could keep track of those brothers in the next valley. You don't have time to go over and see them, others, in case they have a need. Now, if you're in your little congregation and they have a need and you have no contact, you won't hear their screams. You won't hear their needs. And you will be content in your little congregation, in your little circle of friends. We love each other. That's all we need. We feel good. We scratch each other's back. We pat each other up on the head. We say, we love each other. We don't need a network that tells us when there are screams in the next valley. We don't need to know about the coyotes that are eating up our brothers in the next valley. We feel good where we're at. This is what all churches are doing. The fact that you say you're in the kingdom and you do the same thing, you're just the same as them. You have not yet come out of Egypt. 
and entered the kingdom. Entering the kingdom, even, there was no man born better of woman than John the Baptist. And yet Jesus said, he would be the least of them in the kingdom of God. God has a lot higher standards. You're not in the kingdom just because you say, I'm in the kingdom. You have to conform to Christ. And that's a journey. That's a process. I can't tell you who's in the kingdom and who's not. But I can tell you what Christ said about it. You can't be any backpairs. You can't be trying your brothers, you know, with a group and sitting down and deciding whether he's good or not good or bad or wrong or deluded or whatever. And he's not even there to hear your discussion. (laughs) I don't want to be in that government. Ex parte hearings. (laughs) trials and condemnation and judgment and the one you're judging isn't even there what kind of sinful creation are you establishing in love of mutual admiration now the kingdom is much more and it's going to be a struggle it's going to be hard for you to learn the ways of the kingdom again you're a farm flock you've been kept in a fence all these years I could tell you stories about that. You know, I started taking a farm flock sheep or mixed blood of farm flock sheep out on the desert. I was a young man, tennis shoes. <laughs> that was good. That was very important because they were going to run my legs off. I was a long-distance runner years ago, used to do marathons, so I was able to keep up. But I can tell you, you will not do that forever. You need the rain sheep mentality. They're gregarious. They come together on their own. The herd is important to them. Their brothers are important to them. They will graze shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder in line. Automatically. I don't have to teach them. I don't have to tie them together. Because they understand the communion of sheep. You know because there was no woven wire fences in the days of David, that they understood that nature. That's why he was called the Good Shepherd. He didn't bind all the sheep together with ropes and contracts and constitutions. When we set up a congregation, we have rules that we set up in that congregation. Uh, they are we've, we've taken the shells and turned them to should, and we've taken the musts and we've turned them to may, <laughs> because you must choose to follow these guidelines that's what we call them guidelines we even have bylaws but we put them way back in the back shelf but they're there you can use them and actually i think they need a great deal of work but if you use the guidelines you won't need the bylaws if you use the guidelines with love and virtue you won't need the bylaws you see that's what you need but even the bylaws as if I'm overseer of the church, I cannot force those upon the people. They must choose to work them out. We had a congregation that was complaining that nobody's looking at the bylaws, nobody's looking at the guidelines. I've been saying that for years. I want them to look at the guidelines first, but they wouldn't even look at that. They wouldn't come together. They were just a scattered flock. They were a farm flock. They didn't understand shoulder to shoulder. If somebody disagreed, the minister would run off and whine. Oh, they're picking on me. What is that? Why aren't you staying there with the sheep? The sheep, they, they want to go this way and that way. they bad at me. <laughs> so I'm leaving. That We can't have that. That's, I mean, that's not going to work. You can, you can try that, but my experience is it doesn't work. You've got to be bound by mutual love and forgiveness. That's why Christ is mentioning forgiveness. If you don't forgive one another, you're not going to come together. You won't stay together. These are the keys to the kingdom. The basics are the keys to the kingdom. God made man free with free choice. I'm not going to change that. When you form a congregation, you have every choice after the forming of that congregation that you had before. I haven't taken any of your personal rights away. 
you have to come together because you choose to come together because it's important for you to come together because the kingdom is written in your hearts and your minds. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the kingdom along these same lines. We're going to get into uh, uh, how the church has changed uh, just in the last 200 years in the United States. And we're going to see how this alters the way in which we perceive the world and relate to the world because of the way in which we relate to one another. The kingdom of heaven is within you, first. If it's not within you, no guidelines are going to bring it about from outside. No overseer can create the kingdom in your midst. You must come together with two or more people, with the spirit, the name, the character of Christ, which is one of forgiving, one of not wanting to rule over one another, willing to listen to one another, willing to um, discuss difficult things face-to-face with one another, back and forth. I have learned so much over the years. I, I brought certain matters up with a minister saying, you know, you know, here's a problem. We need to look at this and maybe address this issue. And I did it face-to-face, and he, he listened. And I realized now he did not respond back, he, but he, he seemed to hear what I was saying, and there was no argument, so I thought he was putting two and two together. He's kind of a quiet guy anyway. The same matter, two years, three years, four years later, is brought up by others. And he's all upset because they're brought up. But they weren't brought up for the first time by others. They were brought up before. But the choice was always his. Even when others bring it up, the choice is still his. But if, if people do not come together and work out what everybody is seeing as a problem with forgiveness and love, then the problem doesn't go away. Nothing is improved. It's up to you. You're the kingdom. Be God's government. Love one another. Care for one another. Don't abandon the flock because a few stray. Uh, See you talk to you, for those of you on the Living Network. And uh, peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.